Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is uh, Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to listen to the podcast. Uh, I'm always delighted to see the reach and the impact that the podcast is having which obviously is the fact that uh, many of you are going out of your way to let other leaders in the business arena, in the church arena, nonprofit arena, uh, know about the podcast. So thank you, thank you so much uh, for doing that. You know, as a leader, one of the things I love is I love to learn. In fact, every leader that uh, I know who is a high influential leader, uh, they are just great learners and they love learning moments. Well, about a year and a half ago, I had one of those uh, learning moments where I'm going to get to sit at the table and watch two amazing leaders interact. So let me just begin to describe uh, the scenario in the scene, and then I want to take you through uh, just a couple of things that I was able to take away from that. Because today, I want to talk to you about how do you do your best better? How do you do your best better. Now, uh, the scene that I want to take you to, like I said, is almost uh, a, a year and three months ago. I have a dear friend. His name's Dale Bronner. He pastors one of the most uh, dynamic churches in all of Atlanta. He's uh, one of the most eloquent uh, speakers that I've ever heard. His ability to articulate truth is just uh, top-notch. And uh, he called me one day and he said, Gerald, I'd like to meet a friend of yours. Honestly, I thought he already knew this friend, but he said, uh, is it possible that you could set up for uh, me to meet Craig Rochelle? Now, Craig is a man that I admire, I love, and I am so proud of for what he has done to impact so many people's lives. I immediately said, yeah, let me set it up. And Craig was just so gracious that uh, he allowed us to fly up to the Oklahoma City area. And there we were able to interact. So the scene's going to be this. We walk into Craig's office. And uh, as we walk into his office, I introduce him to Dell. They do the uh, kind of pleasantries that any leader would do. And then because I know both of them, I said, well, I'm going to sort of take the back seat here. And as I take the back seat, I'm going to let you guys begin to talk and to interact. Well, as that conversation began to ensue, my mind just exploded because I'm listening to Craig describe Life Church. Now, those of you that are in the church end of life, you understand the magnitude of what Life Church has done, and you understand that it produces results on a level that are really uh, the thinnest of air. But as I'm listening to Craig, my mind explodes because my mind thinks in outline form. As I like to tell people, I can, throw, I can fall out of bed and be time, by the time I hit the ground, I can write a series. Uh, I don't know. It's a part of my gifting. It's a part of what I do well. And I'm sitting there and I'm hearing uh, Craig as he's describing uh, Life Church, and Dell's asking him questions and this outline begins to come. And this outline was based on that conversation. So I want to give you the outline. I want to give you the thoughts that began to explode inside me as I'm listening to these two 
uh, amazing leaders begin to converse with each other and have this high dialogue uh, moment. And I am just fascinated. And I'm just so excited to be in the room. Uh, and I'm sitting there, my mind's exploding, and, and I'm wanting to retain it, but I, you know, not writing down everything because I didn't want to be disrespectful to the moment. I'm just sitting there, but my mind just begins to explode. So as we began to have this discussion, again, I backed out of it. But what I heard was I heard Craig talk about the particular areas that he is effective in. And um, if I can put it to you this way, the first thing that stood out to me is that he talked about being efficient. And then as he talked about it, it began to occur to me what was being said when he said, be efficient. And so let me give you uh, this definition. Efficiency is knowing how to do your best better. Knowing how to do your best better. Now, everyone has something that they're best at. It's what you do best. It's what you're really, really good at. In my life, there's a couple of things that I tend to be better at than anything else. Now, whether you want to call that talent, whether you want to call it a gift, or in my field, you want to call it anointing, uh, there's a couple of areas that I tend to excel in, and I do my best best in those areas. But I'm listening to Craig and I'm hearing something that really fascinated me and that is that efficiency, being an efficient individual, being an efficient leader, being an efficient organization, efficiency is knowing how to do your best better. And so if we can sort of downline that one other step, here's what began to uh, come across to me. Efficiency is the key to duplicating your success. So um, I like to put it this way. Everyone I know has accidental success. It would be like me when I played baseball. Um, I wasn't good at it. I wasn't good because I couldn't hit a baseball. Part of it is is that I'm nearsighted in one eye and I'm uh, you know, farsighted in the other, which means depth perception. Uh, is not going to be there for me, which meant that if you're throwing a baseball at high speeds, my eyes can't adjust to the depth, and so I would miss the ball. Now, all that being said, my eyes would have been perfect. I'm not sure I would have hit the ball, but um, what I do know is this. Being able to duplicate an area is the ultimate sign of success. But going back to the baseball illustration, every now and then I would accidentally succeed. I would accidentally hit the baseball. If I foul-tipped it, my parents would go wild. That was success. If I filed a, uh, a ball off, that was success. If I ever dared to get a ball and play, man, that was like heaven came down and glory field our souls. But I'm listening to this conversation and it's hitting me. Efficiency is how you do your best better. And efficiency is the key to duplicating your success. And all the illustration about baseball is, is that I know a lot of people who accidentally succeed. They don't know why they succeeded. 
They don't know how they succeeded, but for whatever reason, everything fell into place and they succeeded. Now, I use that as an illustration because efficiency is the ability to duplicate success. You know what you're doing, you know why you're doing it, you know how you need to do it, and you can do that and get better and better and better. Now, in Craig's model, uh, he's multi-site. And let me just insert for those of you that do what I do. Craig would be the first individual to tell you that not all churches should be multi-site. And that there are very strategic reasons that you become multi-site and why that just shouldn't be a fad. And so Craig is, is very honest about why they do it. And he's also honest about why others shouldn't necessarily do it. And uh, But in his organization, efficiency is the ability for them to take what they do well in one place and to duplicate it in another place. So if we're going to say efficiency is how you do your best better, and efficiency is the key to duplicating your success, how do we begin to see that happen? Well, a couple of things stood out. One of them is this. If you're going to be efficient and you're going to do your best better, then you have to measure everything. It is how you get better. You're going to have to measure everything. It is how you get better. So um, being able to be efficient means that you know your efficiency level and you know how efficient you are, which means that you're measuring things. You're measuring inputs, you're measuring outcomes, you're measuring everything between inputs and outcomes, and as a result of that, you're able to say, this is what this success is, this is how we make this success better, and this is how we can take this success and duplicate it over and over and over and over again. And so... With that being said, you have to measure everything. It's how you get better. Now, we're sitting in that room, and I may get this stat a little bit wrong, but it's not going to be far off. Craig begins to tell Dell that uh, on Mondays, he is given 130 measurements of all the locations, of all the sites, of how things went. 130. Now, i got to be honest with you. Uh, when I walk in the room, I measure most things uh, all the time. I know the stats. I know the relationships between stats. I know what the curve looks like. I know what the trend lines look like. But that's a part of how my mind works. It works in that kind of mathematical fashion. And I honestly measure a whole lot of things. But 130? I'm just telling you right now, uh, that is way more than I have ever measured. Now, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying it's obvious that the only way any of us can duplicate success is we have to be willing to measure. And as we measure, uh, we've got to know, okay, what are those measurements telling us? And so if I can add this to the measurement part, if you don't measure it, then it doesn't matter. If you don't measure it, it doesn't matter. And so the measuring is not only a statement of what is this, 
but it's also a statement of this is why this is important. Can I tell you something? People measure things that are important. If people on my staff, I happen to write their paycheck and their paycheck came out with less in it this time than last time, there is probably going to be a number of people that are going to come to me and they're going to say to me, hey, uh, do you realize that my check is a little light this time? Why? Because they may not measure everything, but they know how much money they're getting. They know how much their check is to be. And if that check doesn't play out that way, they're going to look at me and say, hey, why isn't that check equaling this? Why isn't that check have this much. And I'm not wanting to reduce it to a bad uh, common line, but I'm basically saying this, our checks matter, so we measure them and we make sure they measure up. Well, in Craig's organization, they were measuring things. Now, honestly, some of his measurements I had never thought of. One of them was the fact that uh, they not only measure how many people are in the seats, which pretty well every Um, church does, but they were also measuring which seats were not being used. And I've never done that. I've never measured which seats were not being used. Now, remember the definition of efficiency? It is doing your best better. And so what they do is they take that information and they hand it to their ushers and say, these are the seats that are least likely to be used. So if we want to be more efficient and maximize every inch of our space, you are going to have to work harder, but we need to get people in these seats because these are the least likely seats, which means the other seats are going to fill up naturally, but we're going to have to add effort. Now think about that on a dollar level. Uh, Every seat in my facility has a uh, economic tag to it because there's land that we purchase, there's a building that we've built, there's a loan that we possess. And if I let that seed go unused, then I'm saying I'm willing to be inefficient in that seed even though I'm efficient in others. So if I can put it to you this way, if you don't measure it, then it doesn't matter. If you don't measure it, then it doesn't matter. And so one of the things that was my immediate takeaway is you measure everything you possibly can. It's how you get better. But not only that, if you don't measure it, then you're saying that area doesn't matter. Now, am I saying everyone should measure 100 plus things? No. But I am saying that if you're going to be an efficient organization, you have to understand what your organization needs to do, what it needs to measure, and for you to be able to be efficient and to do your best better. And so for every organization, that means you have to create metrics which matter. You have to create metrics that matter. Now, when... I talk about this uh, to roundtables, and usually I'll get an ask ask a question like this. Well, what are some of the things you measure? Well, we measure transition points. 
we know that the time that people who are engaged become disengaged are doing transition moments. So if a kid's grown up through nursery and preschool and they're going to children's ministry, uh, preschool and children's ministry, that's a little bit of jump in life. And we know that that's where some people don't make the jump. Going from uh, fifth grade to mid-high, that's one of the places that people don't make the jump. And then going from mid-high to senior high, that's one of the places that people don't. When people have their first kid, when people just get married, all transitions in life become a place for people either to double down on their life or to begin to draw back. And I venture to say that if you look at your organization, you'll find it to be true. So we measure those transition points. If we're graduating a certain number of kids from fifth grade up to mid-high, how many of those kids successfully make that transition? If we're beginning to promote kids from mid-high to senior high, how many kids make that transition? And what we found was that in our organization, that fifth to mid-high was the hardest place. That's where we would lose people. And a part of it was we had to go and do some research. Why, when our children's ministry is top-notch, were we losing people when they went into mid-high? And here's what we found out. Our children's ministry is heavy on the uh, ladies' side. We have more talented and gifted lady ministers in our children's ministry, and we had more talented and gifted male leaders in our mid-high ministry. So what that looked like years ago was this. We were not just transitioning them from an age group, but from a style. So we had to go in and make adjustments. So what we did was we strategically asked our children's department as kids hit fifth grade to engage more of the male volunteers being a part of the discussion pattern so they caught the male influence. We then asked our mid-high to create more of a female leadership team and transition so that we were building a bridge and it wasn't just an age uh, adjustment but it was something that we had culturally adjusted the kids to. And so that's a case where we had to create metrics so we could be better. So what does it mean? Efficiency is the key to duplicating your success. You measure everything. It's how you get better. If you don't measure it, then it doesn't matter. You've got to create metrics which matter. And then you have to understand this. Metrics are the mirror of an organization. See, the metrics don't lie. They give you an immediate feedback of the organizational strengths and weaknesses. They immediately give feedback on that information. Now, every morning I'm going to get up. Every morning I'm going to uh, go to... Uh, a mirror, and I'm going to look at it. Now, I'm a guy, and because I'm a guy, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to look, and I'm going to say, well, this is what I've got. we got to roll with it. But it's interesting, uh, in James, it says, if anyone hears the word of God 
and doesn't do it, they're like an individual who looks into a mirror. But it doesn't say individual. It says it's like a man who looks into a mirror. And he goes his way and he forgets what manner of man he was. See, it doesn't say in the King James, they're like a lady. Why? Because when a lady looks in a mirror, this is study time. She's going to go to work. She has options. Now, guys don't have those options, but she does. And what I'm saying is mirrors give us immediate feedback. And so metrics are the mirror of an organization. And what I've seen is organizations will measure things, but then they won't like what they see in the mirror. So they'll come up with a reason that what they're seeing really isn't true. And that's where an organization ceases to be efficient. Metrics are the mirror of an organization because they give you unbiased feedback. The mirror is just going to tell you, hey, this is it. This is what you look like. Now, that being said, when you look in the mirror, what it does is it helps create layers of understanding. Because when you look in a mirror, it defines the talent question. Do you have the right people and do you have the right kind of people and do you have them in the right places? See, the metrics are going to tell you that. I was sitting in a board meeting of another organization and uh, people were going over numbers and then it was our opportunity to talk and I said, It's just clear to me that this individual either doesn't have their heart in the game or doesn't have the talent because everything they're over is down in comparison to the years before. And everyone just sort of looked at me and I said, there's no way everything should be down when other things are up. And this is either a heart issue or a commitment issue or a skill issue. See, when you look at metrics, it makes you ask the question, do you have the right people in the right place? And do you have the right skills for those people to do that job? Another question that it asks is what I call the dough question. It deals with money. When you're efficient, you're getting the most bang for the buck that you're putting in there. But a lot of times we throw money at problems thinking money alone will cure a problem. And sometimes you've got to look and say, this isn't a money problem or this is a money issue where we need to put more talent here or we need to spend uh, more resources here. And so what the mirror, it tells you the talent. Do you have the right people in the right place doing the right things? It's the dough question. Are you maximizing the resources that you possess? And then it's a diluting question. When I say diluting, what it means is when you look in the mirror, it tells you if your values, what you hold dearly, are being executed. Are you maintaining non-negotiables? See, here's one of the things. In the Harvard School of Business, many years ago, they uh, talked about a principle called planned abandonment. And in studying Fortune 500 companies, what makes them effective, what makes them not, effective long-term companies understand the principle of planned abandonment. 
And planned abandonment means you will stop doing 20% of what you did last year, this year. And see, most organizations become unproductive, not because they're not doing right things. It's that they're trying to do too many things that they never stop doing some things. And, and there are times when a idea has run its course and you need to say goodbye to it. There are times when uh, there are organizational issues that you just need to say, we're not doing that anymore. They're not reflective of our values. What started as a good idea is no longer a good idea. And so you've got to ask, if you keep doing certain things and keep doing them the way you're doing them, are you maintaining the non-negotiables? And what that means is, when you get the metrics, you've got to analyze them continually. And sometimes that involves bringing someone like me in who can give you fresh eyes where you'll give me the stats and you'll give me the numbers and I'll sit there and I'll look and I'll say, hey, have you considered this? Have you not considered that? Is this working? Is that not working? See, recently I was talking to a young pastor and he was saying they're struggling to get small groups off. And then I asked another question and he said, I think one of the problems is, is that I don't like small groups. And I said, well, you understand that the leadership principle is that you don't reproduce what you say, you reproduce what you are. And if you don't want to be in a small group, why would anyone that you lead want to be in a small group? He said, but what I do like is educational classes. And I said, well, why don't you do those? Those are small groups, but they're not home groups per se. And he said, well, we don't have a facility because they're renting a facility on the weekends. And I said, well, why don't you go to another location and just rent something for Wednesday or Thursday night and let that program uh, just be a series of classes you're offering. See, you've got to analyze what you're doing. And sometimes I may be the problem. Sometimes it may be a talent problem, a money problem, a value problem, but you have to analyze and you have to reinvent regularly. You have to reinvent and you have to repackage things and sometimes you have to let go of things, but you have to reinvent regularly. Don't do something because that's what we've always done. See, I've been the pastor of the church that I'm in uh, for 35 plus years. What that means is that everything we've done right, I had my fingerprints on. It also means that everything that we've done wrong, I've had my fingerprints on. And one of the things that's a challenge when you're a long-term leader is are you willing to look at ideas that you yourself came up with and say, those ideas are no longer working. We're going to reinvent here. We're going to get smarter. We're going to get better. We're going to get bigger. So you have to reinvent. It is the old adage that what gets you to the top won't keep you there. In fact, uh, there's a lesson I'm going to do sometimes in the church, and it's the difference between uh, growing a church and sustaining a church. And I just honestly believe that a lot of people are worn out because they were great at growing a church, but they did not realize what was involved in sustaining a church. Just if it stays the same year after year, there's some things involved, let alone if you're growing it. So I'm sitting here at this meeting, and I'm just fascinated by these two great friends of mine, uh, Dale Bronner and Craig Rochelle. I'm watching them as they have this leadership dialogue, and then 
in my head I'm working this outline and I'm thinking my goodness this is gold I get on the plane and by the time we land I send it to Craig and I just say hey Craig this is my takeaways from the meeting what I can tell you is is that a lot of times leaders do things and they do them well but they haven't been able to articulate them into words or to an outline what I can tell you is is that in that meeting I walked away better Dell walked away better and I believe Craig walked away better and that's what I love I love organic leadership moments so I hope maybe this will give you some things that uh, to drill down on in your organization to look at and to say hey here's some things that we should do or we can do and maybe you can ask the metrics questions what should we measure how should we measure it and should it be measured and I think all of those things are wise questions for everyone to ask hey thank you so much uh, for uh, tuning in and being a part of this and listening uh, to the podcast Uh, It means a lot to me. If you can always do me a favor, if you can ever put out a tweet or Facebook about this, uh, there's just more leaders we want to help. And one thing I know about leaders is leaders are givers, and you don't hold. If something's a valuable resource to you, you let all your leaders know. In fact, in my organization, every leader is required to listen to the podcast, not because um, they haven't heard these things, but because I want them to hear them in a different format. Now, that being said, if you can help me, I appreciate it. Hey, a couple of things. We have uh, several roundtables come up. We just completed ours in Plano, uh, and man, it was a home run. It's the first time I've done a roundtable where I walked away and said, we got it right at the very beginning, but we're already honing it, uh, and we'll be doing another one in uh, Seattle, and then we are in uh, Florida and the Orlando area, and then we are in uh, the Albuquerque area. And I just want to say to you, if you're a leader, uh, those roundtables are great growth experiences, and so I want to invite you to come. You can go to Gerald Brooks Ministries. You can sign up. And then we're also doing the Breaking the 200 and uh, Growing to the Next Level conferences that will happen during the summer. And uh, on our pastor's conference we do, we take a limited number because we give amazing gifts to all the senior pastors. We only have 40 slots open for NTLC in October. And if you're a senior pastor, you better sign up because they will all be done in just a couple of weeks. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.